Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your abiding presence with us. And as we look to your word, we pray that you will speak to us and that your word would minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, throughout the gospel, we find Jesus constantly inviting his disciples to be with him. In Matthew 11, for instance, Jesus says to his disciples, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In another occasion, in Mark chapter 6, we find Jesus saying to his disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And they did. In Mark chapter 6, they did go away with Jesus. And he says in the subsequent verse, because he says in the subsequent verse, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, why did Jesus say that? Why was it so important for him that his disciples not just rest, but rest with him? Earlier in Mark chapter 6, Jesus went around preaching and teaching from village to village. And he calls his disciples together and gave them the authority and sent them out two by two. In Mark 6, 12 to 13, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So they went out two by two and they did all this and then they have just returned, you know, returned from, in a sense from a mission trip, you know, mission trip. And, and Jesus knew exactly what they needed. And because all the disciples were all that the disciples were eager to do was to give Jesus a missions report. That's what we usually do, right? Give Jesus the missions report, you know, because you will see in this verse. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him, reported to him all they had done and thought. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You know, that's what we do most of the time, right, my dear friends? Most of the time, we are more eager to give a report of the work that we are not aware that Jesus is more concerned about our well-being rather than the work. Not that the work isn't important. I'm not saying that the work is not important. It is important, but I believe that it is you that Jesus is most concerned about. 
You know, my dear friends, we often associate fruitfulness as being successful. Fruitfulness is often measured in terms of numbers and data. Not that it is wrong. It is not wrong because numbers and data does give us an indication of how we are doing in our work. But is that what Jesus meant when he said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What kind of fruit is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about success? And I really don't think so. You know, I tend to want to visualize it this way. You see, if it is a banana tree, then it produces bananas. Correct. Clever. <laughs> if it is a papaya tree, then it produces papaya. If it is an apple tree, it produces? If it is a durian tree, it produces? Here, Jesus Christ is the vine. If Jesus is the vine, therefore the fruit that it should be producing is not bananas, papayas, durians, or apples, but rather Christ-likeness. Christ is the vine. The fruit is Christ-likeness. It's important for us to note the sequence. You see, we are called to remain in Jesus and be fruitful. Not be fruitful and remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus and be fruitful. So the sequence is, first we remain in Jesus. The result of that is Christ-likeness. But we must also understand that this abiding or, or rather, this union with Christ is not one-sided. It is both ways. Because if you look at verse 4, it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. So we find, we find this relationship, it, it is a mutual relationship. You know, as much as Jesus invites us to be with him, to abide in him, and to be in union with him, Jesus himself commits to us as well. He commits himself to be with us. He commits himself to abide with us. He commits himself to be in union with us. Remain in me and I will remain in you. If you look at Jesus, Jesus himself has this mutual relationship with God the Father. Jesus shows to his disciples how this relationship with the Father is of one union. And we also see how Jesus is being submissive to the Father. Now, how is that? If you look at this verse again, verses 1 and 2, it says this. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be, it will be even more fruitful. So here we see that the father is the gardener. And as the gardener, he cuts and prunes the branches. As the gardener, the father does all that is needed to make sure that the vine bears fruit. 
It is not the branches that bear fruits, my dear friends. It is the vine that bears fruit through the branches. And as the gardener, it is the father who plants the vine. Gardener will do the planting, right? I think he, he does. Lah. We don't have a third party who will come and do the planting and then a gardener who comes and does whatever. It is the gardener who plants the vine. As the gardener, the father is the one who decides to plant. And Jesus is simply being submissive to the father by being willing to be planted in the midst of a broken humanity. He was willing to be planted in our sinful world and we are called to remain in him. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Friends, there are three things about remaining in Jesus that I would like to share with all of us this morning. And the first is, the first is we are called to remain in Jesus in the midst of life's confusion and uncertainty. We are called to remain in Jesus in the midst of life's confusion and uncertainties. Jesus says, I am the true vine, correct? And this, this I am saying, I am the true vine, is pretty much one of the last things he says about himself before heading towards Gethsemane and ultimately Golgotha. And Jesus actually begins to speak about his departure or, or his death, actually, in John chapter 12. In John 12, Jesus was at the home of Lazarus. You remember Lazarus and the two sisters, Mary and Martha? Jesus, you know, he had just raised Lazarus. And so here, he just raised Lazarus. That, that's found in John 11. And here in John 12, Jesus was... Uh, a dinner was given in, in Jesus' honor. And as usual, Martha uh, served, right? Martha served. And Mary, Mary was also doing something here this time. Mary, what she did was she took a pint of expensive perfume, poured it into Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Judas Iscariot would then ask, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? And Jesus would respond by saying it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You know, by saying that, Jesus begins to point towards his coming death. And Jesus as you read on, he states it even more clearly or, or rather bluntly that he is living. If you read towards the end of John 13 and John 14. Because if you find in John 13 verses 33, he will say this, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. You know, I, I really wonder what would have been running in the mind and heart of these disciples as they hear these words of Jesus. These disciples have spent three years of their lives with him. 
following him wherever he went and learning from him. In fact, they left everything, almost everything to follow him. They left their work. They left their family. If you read further, right, the sons of Zebedee were just dumped the father in the boat and they were followed Jesus. Right? They, le they left their family. They left their home, the comforts of their home, in order to follow Jesus. Now, after three years, Jesus is saying to them, uh, by the way, uh, where I am going, uh, you cannot come. No, I, I really wonder what the disciples were feeling. And you can imagine the confusion that these disciples were at. No, it is, it, it is like suddenly there's no future. You know? There's no future in, in following Jesus, this Jesus, because he's, he's not going to be here. And besides talking about his death, he also talks about, about several other things. And, and he talks about being betrayed. And so he, he, he points to them, the disciples, and he, and he tells them, one of you is going to betray me. And in verse 22, we will find that the disciples actually stared at each other at a loss to know which one of them he meant. So it is, it is in, this, in the midst of such confusion and uncertainty that Jesus calls his disciples to remain in him in John 15. You know, my dear friends, I think we can somehow identify with such disposition. There are just so much confusion and, and uncertainty in our country now. Elections is in just about three days. Three days? Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, three days. Three days from now. And we wonder what the outcome will be. You know, I think in these past few weeks especially, I especially, you know, in the past few weeks, I'm sure all of you did as well, we have been receiving many messages regarding elections, correct? Anybody never received anything? See, no hands up. Everybody received something about election and we received so many information regarding this party and that party. I better not say names, lah. this party and that party. You know, people making comparisons between this party and that party. And friends, these messages that we receive, instead of bringing clarity, most of the time, it brings more confusion and uncertainty. Do you agree? You know? Does it give you clarity? No. It doesn't bring any clarity. Because we don't know which is true and who is being truthful. What shall we do and what can we do? As disciples of Jesus, we need to do what we are called to. We are called to remain in Jesus so that we bear the fruit of Christ's likeness. And so for us, as disciples of Jesus in Malaysia, let us strive to remain in Jesus so that even in the midst of such confusion and uncertainty, we bear the fruit of Christ's likeness. Whatever happens, my dear friends, whatever changes that may come or may not come, let one thing never change, and that is our abiding in Christ. Secondly, the second thing that I'd like to share is, 
we are called to remain in Jesus in the midst of life's persecution. If you look at John 15, 20, it says, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Here we find that Jesus, in a sense, is giving them a heads up, you know, a heads up as to what would come as a result of following him. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. And as we read on, if we read on into the book of Acts, we will realize that the disciples who became apostles were persecuted. Peter was persecuted. Paul was persecuted. And the kind of persecution that they were going through, through kind of really endangered their lives. And, and Stephen, if you remember, Stephen was also persecuted and he was stoned to death. Now, who is this Stephen? You know, if you read Acts 6, right? Acts 6 tells us that Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, and he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And as a result of that, great opposition took place. It's a man of God, right? And they seized him and brought him before the Sanhedrin and falsely accused him by speak, that, he, that he was speaking against God and against the law. And they went so far as to prepare false witnesses. They prepared false witnesses to go against this man. Acts chapter 6 tells us that. And we, may, and we may want to ask ourselves, what did Stephen do to be treated this way? All he did was to do the work of God among the people. That's what he did. And there, were, and there were some people, or rather some leaders, who felt threatened because of that. In Acts 7, when Stephen was questioned, Stephen's answer was simply to tell and share about the entire history of God's redemptive work. And that story actually provoked them to stone him. But in the midst of being dragged out into the city and being stoned, look at how Stephen was responding. Let me see if I have the verse. Yes, Acts 7.59. See, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know, friends, I truly believe that Stephen was a man who remained in Jesus. Because as I read his story, I can see the fruit of Christ-likeness in him. Just look at that prayer that he utters. This prayer, in essence, if you remember, if you remember, is the exact same prayer that Jesus uttered when he was on the cross. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen, as he abides in Jesus, as he continued to fix his eyes on Jesus, he was indeed becoming more and more like Christ-like. Just look at that prayer. Isn't it similar? It is similar. Likewise, we need to remain in Jesus. We need to abide in Jesus even when the going gets tough. And how are we to do that? 
what would help us to remain in Jesus. And I think the very thing that would help us to remain in Jesus is his words, Jesus' words. Now, if, if I may ask us the question, how do we treat God's word? Do we treat it as merely knowledge? Do we treat it as merely God's instructions? This one you can do, that one you cannot do. Because, you know, because the way we treat the word of God will say a lot about how you would read the word of God. The way we treat the word of God would say a lot about how we would read the word of God. I, and I think there are, there's two ways of reading. Two ways of reading. One is we read with the consumerist mindset. mindset. Meaning to say, you just read, la. read, read, and read, like preparing for an exam, you know. Okay, so, so, so let's say you're having a history paper in two weeks' time. Okay, you're having history paper. And so you open your history book, and you read and read and read and read. In the morning and night, you read and read, and then you walk into the exam hall with your pen ready, and the moment you receive the exam paper, you vomit out all that you have read, and two hours after the exam, you have completely forgotten what you have read in the past two weeks. Can I identify or not? That's how we, we answer exam papers now, by the way. Read and read and read. The moment we receive the paper, we vomit out everything, and then we forget about it. That's number one. All right? Or another example is you are doing a research paper. Right? So you're doing a research paper. Paper. And in order to collect data, you go to the library and you look for all the books that's under the category of whatever that you are writing. And then you, you bring all the books out and then you put it all on your table and then you start to read selectively. You start taking notes. Oh, this one relevant, right? Oh, not relevant, throw, throw behind. Cut, this one not relevant. Oh, this is relevant. We read selectively. And at the end comes this beautiful research paper. Ten years down the road, do you remember? I don't think so. Friends, how do we treat the word of God? Because the manner in which we treat the word of God will reflect the manner in which we read the word of God. The word of God will only be able to help us remain in Jesus only when we treat it and read it in the right manner and in the right attitude. Don't read God's word like you are reading your history book. Don't read God's word selectively because it is not your research paper. My friends, it says in Hebrews the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that is how we ought to treat the word of God. It is living and it is active. Don't treat it as history, although in some sense it is. 
because it talks about the history of Israel. Ma. It is, la, but don't treat it la, as history. All right? Because it is living and active now in both your life and my life. And we need to read it in, in such a manner that we allow God's word to penetrate into our soul. And this kind of brings me to the third thing that I would like to share with us, and that is the fruit of remaining in Jesus is seen in our prayer life. John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And in John 15, 16, it also says something similar. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You know, my dear friends, this phrase, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you, it's not a blank check. A lot of times we, uh, we think that it's a blank check. It's not a blank check. See, the way we pray says a lot about the, the way we pray says a lot about who we are becoming. Are we becoming more and more Christ-like or are we becoming more and more unlike Christ? Because if we are becoming more and more Christ-like, then our prayers will show it. In our prayers, do we promote the good of others? If we do, then that's Christ-like. In our, is our prayers centered upon the will of God? If it does, then it is Christ-like. You know, Christ himself prayed that prayer. He prayed, not my will, Father, but your will be done. He prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. The kind of, the kind of things that we pray for does reflect the desire of our hearts. It does give an indication of where we are in our relationship with Jesus. So if we are in the right relationship with Jesus and the kind of prayer we pray will definitely be right in his sight. So this phrase here, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you, is not a blank check. This phrase here, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you, is actually a promise from Christ given in the context of having a right relationship with Christ. The sequence is, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, comma, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And here it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Friends, we need to be in a right relationship with Christ so that the fruit that we bear will indeed be fruit that will last. And let us, by the grace of God, strive and persevere to remain in him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us and we pray, Father, that we will truly learn to revere your word, truly learn to receive your word as living and active in our lives, so that by having your word in our lives, we will be able to remain in you. 
And now, Father, even as we approach your table, thank you for inviting us to your table. And as we approach it, Lord, help us to approach it with a heart full of thanksgiving as we receive your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.